This is the Accidental Safety Pro live at the 2019 National Safety Congress and Expo in sunny San Diego. My name is Jill James, Vivid's Chief Safety Officer, and today I'm joined by Krista Geller, President of Actively Caring for People. Welcome to the podcast, Krista. Thank you very much, Jill. I appreciate it. So, Accidental Safety Pro, meaning... Um, how, you know, everybody's telling their story about how did safety find them in some sort of uh, way. Right. And, and by degree, you're a behavioral psychologist, right? Right. Right. So, yeah, let's go in the way back machine. How do you go from safety, from behavioral psychology into safety? Oh, it's an interesting story. Yeah. It really all, I have to pay all the credit to my father, mostly. Um, I started <laughs> off going to school doing the school thing, trying to figure out what do I want my degree to be, yeah. what can I do, what do I want to do. And um, I just kept getting roped into all of his experiments. <laughs> so if people aren't familiar with when you say roped into your dad's experiments, what does that mean? Well, he would either say, I'll give you $10 to do this experiment, mm -hmm. or he would say, do it. Mm -hmm. And there was no choice. Mm -hmm. And he would have some sort of experiment for me to do. Um, one of them, the most, the most noted one, really, is probably when my sister was 14. I was 16, and another lady was 18. Mm -hmm. He got the three of us together, and he made us go around the town of Blacksburg and buy cigarettes. Okay. And the goal was to figure out, you know, if we were going to be carded. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I was a, a young 16. I mean, I probably didn't look a day over 12. Mm -hmm. And my sister, she definitely didn't look over As 12. As a 14-year-old, yeah. Right. So we were, uh, we were recorded for sound and mm -hmm. sound in our pockets. So we were recording a conversation. We would go up to the attendant. We'd go to 20 different stores. We'd go up to the attendant, ask to buy the cigarettes, mm -hmm. and see if we would get carted. Mm -hmm. And out of the 20 stores, I did not get carted once. Whoa. The 18-year-old did not get carted once. Whoa. My sister got carted twice only because it was her basketball coach that was working at both stores. <laughs> so he knew she was not of age to be smoking. Uh -huh. So he went to the newspapers, and it came out. It was called The Sting in Blacksburg. Hmm. And there was a front-page picture of the three of us sitting behind a big, large stack of cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And it blew up Blacksburg. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we really we stopped the tobacco-buying process in Blacksburg. And what do kids do when they go to high school? They smoke, they dip, they do all that oh, tobacco whoops. stuff. And, so oh, we shut it down. Yeah. We lost a lot of friends. Uh -huh. He said, uh, he comes to us and he goes, I, I, wanna go, I want you guys to go back to those stores. Yeah. See if you get recarded. What's going on? Let's mm -hmm. do a follow-up to the research. So I walked into a Wade's and there on the wall was a giant blown-up picture of the three of us. Mm -hmm. And it said, do not sell to these girls. Oh, just you. Yeah. Yeah. And I let the cigarettes ride the conveyor belt. And I stood there for a minute and then, uh, she told me off. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm not selling any of these cigarettes. And so, yeah. Whoa. The reaction was quite big in our town. Our town, our town, of course, is a lot bigger now. It's Blacksburg, Virginia, with Virginia Tech. Yeah. Much bigger town now with all the students. But this was, this was way back when, 1993 or so. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was a little bit, mm -hmm. a little bit more compact. Mm -hmm. So everybody knew what everybody was doing. And mm -hmm. yeah, the cigarette study, yeah. Uh, definitely ruffled some feathers in the town of Blacksburg. So you're part of research. And for people who don't know why your dad would be conducting research, maybe give a little blip on who your dad is to give some context yeah. to any listener who has no idea what we're talking about. So my father is uh, Scott Geller, and he's uh, been in a, a professor of psychology 
at Virginia Tech. He's in his 50th year. So he's been, wow. he's been at one university for 50 years. Whoa. And he's run research study after research study. And to this day, I still think I probably was an experiment. <laughs> so he pulled me on board and um, just started sending us out to do research. I mean, I did a lot of alcohol research with him for a while. Interesting. I did safety seat research. I rode along with Coca-Cola drivers, did mm-hmm. lifting behaviors. I did uh, driving behaviors. Yeah. We worked on the road rage reducer. So I was I was in so many different experiments with him because it was fun. Yeah. You know, it was... Um, it and was, he was paying you sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. I, I actually did... I, in the When I started going to college, when I was a freshman at Rafferty University, I continued and I, I picked up a part-time job with him as a research assistant. Mm-hmm. So I stayed a research assistant with him probably until I graduated with my PhD. I was always in and out of his research yeah. projects. Yeah. And it was something to do. It was a couple of bucks on the side. And yeah. it was just, it really was just fun. I mean, we would go down to Blacksburg and we would hide in one of the little nooks mm-hmm. of, the, of the party scene and we would take people's blood alcohol content. Oh, wow. So we would give them a survey. The two of you... Uh, not him. Other, yeah, other he, research assistants. Yes, yeah. other research assistants. Uh-huh. Sometimes he would follow us to a fraternity party, so I can say that I've been to a fraternity party with my father. I'm not sure if that's a cool statement or not. He was there to watch yes, you and he, make sure you were okay. He yeah. was there. My yeah. father has been to a fraternity I've walked Bourbon Street with my father. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we would we would give these students a, a survey, yeah. and then we would take their blood alcohol content mm-hmm. and figure out how how intoxicated were they? Mm-hmm. We would ask them questions on, you know, would they drive a car? What kind of behaviors would they engage in? Yeah. And we would ask them while they were intoxicated so that we could see how the answers would differ and see, you know, are people willing to take the risks when they have yeah. a blood alcohol content of, you know, 0.1 or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So while you're doing this since you're a little kid all the way through college, what kind of degree were you working on? Well, it's very interesting because when I went to Rafferty University, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. I took a lot of psychology courses. I was really interested in it. My mom was a professor at Rafferty University in the special education department. Okay. So, you know, I have I grew up with educators in my house. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I knew I liked psychology. So I stayed in the psychology area. I dabbled in biology. I just kept going back and forth. But I really stuck with psychology. Mm-hmm. And then... I loved media studies. Mm. So what I ended up doing was I became the New River Valley news reporter <laughs> for Rafferty University, <laughs> and I used all of my dad's research studies as my stories. Sure. So um, we would go to Walmart, and we would have a safety seat check. Mm-hmm. So we would check all the child safety seats, make sure they were, were they recalled, were they not recalled. We had a multi-million dollar grant. Yeah. We would go straight into Walmart, buy a brand new child safety seat, and install it in the in the car mm-hmm. for these people. Yeah. And it was great. We were it was what a what a purpose. What a great right. process. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I did a, a, a news report on it. Mm-hmm. So then I would take every research project I was involved in and make it into a news story mm-hmm. and his students loved it especially the ones that were getting their thesis their dissertation because then they could use my news story as part of their research process <laughs> so I you know so then yeah. I was like okay this is kind of fun so I ended up double majoring in psychology and media studies mm-hmm. but then when I graduated from Radford I was just I was kind of you know what do I do now I'm just yeah. not sure what I would do and yeah. I remember sitting in his office my dad's office at Virginia Tech and where I where I was most of my life you, mm-hmm. know, you know what am I going to do and you know, I looked over at the School of Human Development, which human development is, is in my dad's words, the touchy-feely side of psychology. Okay. Human development is less 
putting people in boxes. It looks more at the person. Mm -hmm. You know, how is the person developing? What kind of knowledge, skills, and expertise does that person have? Mm -hmm. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. So I dove straight into the human development piece, and and that's where I got my PhD in. Hmm. In human development. Yep. I continue with my my master's thesis and my PhD. And I remember driving with my dad, because, you know, when you you have to decide what kind of research you're going to do. You know, and I was driving down the road, and I was like, you know, what am I going to do? Because you want to find something unique that you can spend your time reading. You gotta, you're going to spend a year just kind of be in love with it. You've right? got to be in love yeah. with it. You've got to be in love with it because yeah. the process is not fun. And he said, what about the power of pets? And that, that was it. And I remember sitting across from my professor. I had to, I had to write a proposal, mm-hmm. and we had to put our topic in, and she laughed at me for 20 minutes. What? She laughed at me for 20 minutes. Was she not a pet person? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I couldn't tell you if she was a pet person. But I will tell you, I was not happy with her reaction. Right. And she popped up a couple times. She said, I'm not laughing at you. I'm just laughing at your idea. Oh, thank you. That oh, makes yeah, you feel so much better. Feel, yeah. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I, I went with it. I, I, I hit the course running on the mm-hmm. power of pets. Mm-hmm. And it was after my thesis... One of my professors that was on my dis- on my chair in my committee came up to me and said he went out and got two dogs just based on the research, the statistics that came back Whoa. on my thesis. Whoa. So tell us about it. Well, the power of pets. So my thesis, I focused on how animals influence family relationships. Mm. You know, what do they do for a child in a family? Yeah. How do they help you? How yeah. do they forge relationships? How do they forge communication? Yeah. What do they do for you? And it, it's all positive. Yeah. They, they, if, if a child doesn't feel comfortable talking to their mom or dad, they will talk to the pet. Yeah. You know, so if that pet is available, and, and it doesn't have to be a dog or cat, folks. It can be a, a snake. Yeah. It can be a fish. Uh-huh. It can be a bird. Uh-huh. It doesn't have to be, you know, a, a big animal. It can be a pretty mm-hmm. simple animal mm-hmm. that, that, that pulls the love out of us. Yeah. And so, you know, for my thesis, I focused on qualitative research. Okay. So it was um, paragraphs and paragraphs of people telling me why their pet was important and what they mm-hmm. thought about it. So I did mm-hmm. a content analysis on, on all of the research, and it came back as, you know, it was a, it was a companionship. Yeah. They provided companionship. Mm-hmm. So when I um, jumped into my dissertation, I, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to continue with this. And mm-hmm. I developed a pet attachment scale, which kind of looks at how attached are you to your companion animal. Yeah. And it came back that there were two things. companion We see them as companionship and emotional fulfillment. Mm. I mean, I mm. think of my animals today as my children. Yeah. They do not get anything less than my child would get mm-hmm. in my home. Mm-hmm. They are just as loved as everybody else. Mm-hmm. They are part of the family. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And that is the power of pets. They, they love me unconditionally. Yeah. And I've... I've traveled the, the world, really, with a lot of my jobs. And one of the funnest things I found to talk with people about is pets. pets. Mm-hmm. In fact, if, if you're sitting with somebody and, and the conversation might be stale or you don't know where to go from mm-hmm. there, if you take the time to ask somebody, hey, you have any animals at home? Yeah. Wow, if they do, you've opened up a whole yeah. new avenue of conversation because it's amazing. It's, it's, a, it's a whole thing. So what kind of pets do you have? 
I currently have uh, four dogs and two cats. Oh, wow. And then, um, you know, I had a pony that I grew up with, and I actually dedicated my master's thesis and my dissertation Aww. to her. <laughs> she was unbelievable pony, Lady Champagne, short pump sugar shack. She had a long name. <laughs> Listen, she had a long name. She was famous. And um, very special animal. Uh-huh. And and she she really, she protected me. She taught me how to love. She, very important. Sure. And um, when I got my master's thesis, I decided, well, I was about to get it. I had a year to go. Mm-hmm. I got her pregnant. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for her. Yeah. It was my way of giving her, letting her experience another part of her life. Sure. I'm going to let you have a child, lady. Yeah, yeah. See how you do. Mm-hmm. She did great. Mm-hmm. She loved it. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, and the baby was born when I graduated with my master's thesis. Mm-hmm. So then when I got my master's thesis and started going to my PhD, I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to do it again. <laughs> okay. So I got her pregnant again. Uh-huh. Same, same, same boyfriend, uh-huh. same father. Uh-huh. Got her pregnant again, and that baby was born when I got my PhD. Aww. So I still have her two children. Aww. She has since passed mm-hmm. uh, several years ago, which hmm. was a real mm-hmm. defining time in my life. Yeah, I, bet. I, I lost, yeah. lost a very dear friend, um, very dear friend. Yeah, but. Um, you know, I, I do have her babies, which yeah. my dad, you know, he is he is starting. He he knew the power of pets, but now he's, you know, reading my research and coming up with me and editing my research. Yeah. He's realized how significant animals yeah, are. Right. And you 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 know you look at PetSmart and you look at what we do for our animals yeah. and what we've offered. It's it's amazing. So yeah. he has he is going to write a book with me. We are getting my my master's thesis and dissertation together. We have a ch- I do have a chapter out there in one of his applied psychology books on the uh-huh. power of pets. Okay. But we're going to look at how animals are at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. You know, self-transcendence. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're at the top, man. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it is, is, is we care for someone else that is unconditionally yeah. cares for yeah. us. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's magical. Mm-hmm. I was not a pet person until about nine, eight, eight years ago got my first pet it was accidental kind of like being an accidental safety pro mm-hmm. I was asked to take care of someone's cat for two weeks while they went on a trip and I'm like oh cat oh. like I'm like I'm 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 the crazy anal retentive clean person yeah. who like straightens the fringe on the rugs mm-hmm. yeah I'm not that anymore Ooh. not since having a pet yeah, no. yeah. anyway so um took care of this cat and at the time um my son's little and i he's an only child and i see what happens with a pet in the house and i'm like oh crap we gotta get a pet mm-hmm. and cat seems to work because i travel mm-hmm. <laughs> cats can take care of themselves yep. kind of so we got this we we have our cat jack who's uh, been with us and right before you and i started started this podcast recording today my son called me to tell me that he was checking in on Jack and he was giving me the whole download on what Jack was doing and it is a communication piece, it is a connection. Absolutely. And he'll be leaving for college next year and his biggest fear is that something will happen to Jack and I somehow won't tell him while he's mm-hmm. at college. So he's already made me pre-promise a year in advance that if something happens with Jack's health, he'll immediately be, you know, like... Lights and sirens all the way home. Yeah, that's that's actually really funny that you say that because my mom was like that. I um, she used to have to say, "The dog's okay," but yeah, and, and 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 there was a time where she waited two weeks before she told me that I had lost an animal. Oh man! And uh, 
I remember I, I lit into her for that yeah. because I'm, I'm that same way that your yeah. son feels it, you yeah. know. Yeah, that, isn't it interesting the bond your son has, has developed with that cat? Yeah. And, you know, the research out there says that, that actually petting a dog or cat lowers your blood pressure. Yeah. And one of the reasons they have fish in dentist's office and doctor's yeah. office is that watching them swim uh-huh. actually lowers our blood pressure and calms us yeah. down. Yeah. I mean, they're... It's just unbelievable. I, I, I did a research study, actually. I had a little pug. His name was Kodiak. Mm-hmm. And we have a trail called the Huckleberry Trail in Blacksburg, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I would walk the Huckleberry Trail. My research was I would walk the trail without Kodiak and with Kodiak. Mm-hmm. And I would take research on how many times, how many conversations did I engage in when mm-hmm. I had Kodiak and when I did not have Kodiak. Mm-hmm. When I did not have Kodiak, 100% of the time, no conversations. Mm-hmm. Maybe a smile or a wave here yeah. and there. When I had Kodiak, 100% of the time I had conversations. Yeah. And so they are a, they are a social piece. Yeah. And at, at Virginia Tech, one of my degrees is in gerontology. Mm-hmm. And it focuses on the older population and, you know, that social that's, that, that's social that, that, that they often miss out on. Yeah. And so having a pet, you know, going out and just walking a pet, you know, you're, you're socializing, you're talking mm-hmm. with people, you're mm-hmm. forced into conversations. Mm-hmm. You're also forced to take care of something. Yeah. as well as yourself. Mm-hmm. So sometimes if you have an older person that has to remember to feed a cat, well, they also have to remember to feed themselves. themselves yeah. So, right. you know, it's it's like a, a, a two-fold thing that works together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So have you, have you found a way to connect the power of pets with workplace safety or safety in general? How is that looking? Well, when I look at it, I look at it as actively caring for people. So that's, that's what I've started with is... is dad has been very passionate about actively caring for people and I really believe I pulled him into that through my behavior and my um, my degree he got into that into that I really um, mushy gushy stuff that he didn't uh-huh yeah he, he got into, into that, it yep he got into that mushy gushy stuff uh-huh. by reading and editing all of my mushy gushy articles uh-huh. <laughs> and so now we're going down the human development track yeah. and I pulled him into it and so now we're actively caring for people but now when you look at the health of people and sometimes when you go to a job site and you're working with people you know hmm Somebody doesn't look so well. They're not doing so well. Do we take the time to figure out what's going on in their lives? And sometimes an animal or a pet could be the uplifting piece that that person might need. Yeah. I mean, the relationship Mm -hmm. that that you can have with an animal might be what it is. So Mm -hmm. I consider, Mm -hmm. so when I think about safety, I think about our health as well. Mm -hmm. So I think about how our health plays into safety. So when you go to the job site and you're not feeling so well, much like my scratchy voice, I'm not feeling so well. So when you go to the job site and you're not feeling so well, you might not put your best foot forward yeah. or you might you might be blindsided or not have your mind your task on the, your your mind on the task at hand because you don't feel good mm-hmm. and so that's your health yeah. but your health is also on in how you live your life and sometimes a pet can increase that health yeah. so you are going to work feeling healthier because you do have a pet at home mm-hmm. you do have somebody that loves you unconditionally mm-hmm. so when you come home from work you have that relationship to tend to. Sure. That's how I see it feeding sure. into safety. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned, and we mentioned at the outset, uh, president of Actively Caring for mm-hmm. People. Um, I want to hear the story about how that was born. Okay. But we need to go back to how did you get into safety again? So you know, what happened after 
safety is that's an interesting question because you know after college I went and I taught college for a while okay I taught at Virginia Tech you know when you're a graduate student they they want you to teach a class because you're cheap yeah and the first class (laughs) I had you know I had 250 students Uh I had the entire Virginia Tech football team okay and the topic was human sexuality And I didn't look a day over 21. Well, I, I probably was 22. But I, and I taught this class, and I taught this class mm-hmm. for the next few years mm-hmm. um, at, at Virginia Tech. And it took that many years to get used to teaching, to get used, used to really um, giving of myself and kind of making sure that my students walked out of my classroom with nuggets of information, with learnings. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I'd learned all that from my mom and dad, both, both professors. Yeah. You know, I'd learned, okay, what does it mean to teach? Mm-hmm. And so... I started stepping out into the world, and, you know, it was funny. I I was an adjunct professor, but the other job that I got was um, running a conference, a safety conference. Okay. And I got into the safety conference because it was a safety conference that used to give my dad keynotes. Okay. So I kind of got into the safety and started talking safety with people. And Mm -hmm. it was funny. Dad had been in safety for so long that, you know, I I could have an ESNH position open, ESNH manager, and somebody would, would... CEO is Chris Aguilar looking for a job. Well, come on over. We'll we'll, we'll hire you. Uh-huh. And my background was not in, in yeah. environmental health and safety. Right. But my last name was Geller. Hmm. So in hmm. many ways, I thought, you know, okay, well, maybe she'll bring what I need to the table. Yeah. And uh, in some situations, it worked out. In some situations, you know, the jobs were not quite what I wanted them to be. Yeah. But, um, you know, I started as an adjunct professor, and I always had that in the background, but I could never get a full professor job. Yeah. Never. The only full jobs I was getting, safety jobs. And it was the one you didn't go to college yeah. for. Yeah. So I, I couldn't fathom it. I was yeah. like, wait a minute, I'm what? a teacher. Yeah. And so what it started bleeding into was, okay, I can make this work. I'm going to be a teacher of safety. Mm-hmm. So now I just have to learn safety. Safety. Mm-hmm. Um, gee. I guess my teacher is in my back backyard here. Yeah, right. So maybe I need to learn from him. Uh-huh. So I got a couple of couple of ESNH manager gigs and started learning what it meant to work in the field. Do you feel like that was the universe sort of, sort of conspiring, uh, like just kept happening, and you had to listen to the nudging? It's a great question. Yeah. That's a great question because um, you know before I did my presentation yesterday, I had a lady tell me you were born into this. Yeah, right. You were born into this, and you were born for this, and it's like, well. You know, maybe. maybe. I am yeah. trying very hard to continue his message forward. Yeah. But I do know it was a very hard road for me in many ways because, you know, Dad is a professor. Mm-hmm. He is an academic. Mm-hmm. And he has great theories. He has great ideas. Now, do all those great ideas and theories roll out onto the job site the way you want them to? Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. And you've got to look at the culture that you're rolling that theory yeah. and that idea out onto. Mm-hmm. So dad has the idealistic, perfect theory up there in the clouds. Mm-hmm. And then I am boots on the ground. So I pull it out of the clouds and I show you where it can work yeah. in the field. Yeah. And that's what I learned from all my training. You know, I also, I really consider my, my second PhD to be in culture. Okay. Because my last job, I was the people-based safety and human performance global manager. And I traveled the world and I went to job sites and different cultures, and I, I looked at how do you make the safety process work with this group of people? Mm-hmm. What do you need to do? How do you need to change it? Because mm-hmm. it might work in Texas, 
but it's not going to work in Tbilisi, Georgia. Yeah. It's not going to work in Istanbul. It's not going to work in Kosovo. Yeah. So what do we need to do to tweak it in order to fit that culture? Mm-hmm. And that was one of the best educations I got because I got immersed in all those different cultures mm-hmm. and the boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. So dad will roll out his ideas and his theories to me, and then I will tell him exactly how those ideas and theories will go out onto the onto the field because yeah. you know you go to you talk to a lot of a lot of professionals and we all want an easy button mm-hmm. we'd love to hit that easy button and it rolls out and it works yeah and it, you know you can't you can't do that you you have to have a flexible program mm-hmm. that is able to move mm-hmm. move and change me and, and, and adapt yes yeah. mm-hmm. if it doesn't adapt to the culture that it's working and it's not gonna mm-hmm. it's not gonna do what you want it to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that was one of the biggest things a big challenge for me in my last position and how to do that. And, you know, then I started getting moved around a lot, and I thought, you know what? I need to do, I need to do this seriously. Yeah. The I, safety I need, gig. I need to do the safety gig. Yeah. I need to pull this off the shelf, yeah. and I need to go out on my own yeah. and I, with my father because I'd, I'd been doing it for all these other companies. Yeah. So I'd been, I'd been making money for all these other companies and, making, and, and giving the message, but all these other companies were doing it, but not quite to the extent it needed to be done at. Yeah. You wouldn't believe the roadblocks I would come to. And, you know, with safety, it's, it, it, it's, it can't be about the money. Yeah. It's about the lives that you're saving. It's about the message. It's about the, the, the value of that person. And so often it turns into, well, you can't afford this. Yeah. You can't do this. So I was running into those roadblocks of, wait a minute, though. Yeah. We have to do this. Mm-hmm. And so I decided, you know, I, I can't do those roadblocks anymore. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't look to the right or look to the left and ignore it. Yep. I've got to jump straight in. Uh-huh. So that's when Dad and I started my company, which is Geller AC4P, so it's actively caring for people. Mm-hmm. We have our web page up and stuff, and we're trying to spread the message, you yeah. know, of, of actively caring for people. It's, it's not just about safety, mm-hmm. but it's about those, those acts of kindness, you know, just telling people thank you. Yeah. You know, because many times we just don't take the time to communicate. I mean, I think our technology is great. Twitter, Facebook. I mean, if we had Twitter and Facebook back when I was doing all those experiments with my father, yeah. I would be in a padded cell. <laughs> so it, it, it's good it's good that I've moved into this uh-huh. realm. Uh-huh. And Twitter and Facebook is great, but we've got to remember that we still need that one-on-one communication. Mm-hmm. And this this actively caring for people, you know, with the wristband and, and passing it forward and, and having that conversation with somebody allows you to have that one-on-one mm-hmm. communication. Mm-hmm. So how long have the two of you had actively caring for people? Dad, so Dad started doing actively caring for people probably back in the, in the 90s. And then it really hit strong in about, probably about when I started getting my gigs and I was an ESNH manager. Yeah. So it's probably been about 20 years. Yeah. We've been, we've been toying with it, yeah. playing with it, but it's only been about the past two years that we've really said, you know what? This is we, it. This is it. Yeah. This is where the world needs to go. This yeah. act of positivity, this act of, of good communication. This is where we need to go. And so this is your full-time gig now. This is my full-time gig now. Absolutely. And for, uh, you know, we recorded a podcast episode here at NSC with your dad um, yesterday, and he talked about actively caring for people. But if people are listening to this to this podcast for the first time and haven't listened to your dad's episode, let's talk about what it is. Let's talk about what that what that movement is um, from your perspective and what you're teaching and training. Sure. Or Actu- educating. Actually yeah. caring for people. Yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 all about 
um, caring for people. So, you know, it started with, with um, behavior-based safety. You know, we had behavior-based safety out there on the job site. Yeah. And then Dad, you know, Dad coined behavior-based safety back in the 1978 or 79. Mm-hmm. And then he started people-based safety. Okay. And the people part is the, the person, the expertise, the knowledge. You know, who is that person that the behavior is going through? Mm-hmm. Because that person is going to impact how that behavior is going to you know, be admitted. So, for example, mm-hmm. you know, when you see a police car, do you have a physical reaction when you see police lights on the road? Yes. I do, too. Does your heart beat fast? It depends on what's happening. <laughs> yes. Yes. But, yes, usually it's, like, an awareness of, is there something I need to do? Yeah. And is there, is this a, is this about me, and is there something I need to do? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that, that's such a good response, because that's exactly what they should, it should be. Yeah. Police officers are great. If, you know, if you see those police lights and it reminds you to slow down, yeah. or it reminds you to buckle up, yeah. or, you know, that, that's, that's the, that, they're an activator, so they're, they're kind of filtering through the person. Yep. So you react the same way I react. I'm going to mm-hmm. check out the environment, what's going on, what do I need to know? Yeah. So that's people-based safety. But now actively caring for people takes it another step further, and it takes talking to people, you know, caring about that other person. So, for example, you know, not texting and driving, mm-hmm. and not just for yourself, but but to allow other people on the road to be safe as well. Mm-hmm. You know that that um, you know if you're you're at a at a red light. And, you know, people are texting at their red light so they don't even see the lights gone green. Mm-hmm. And that's just such a lack of, of awareness. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's such um, incompetence to not be aware of your environment and, and care about the people around you. You know, we've got places to go, too. Mm-hmm. So, so get off your phones and pay attention. So, so actually caring for people is about being aware of your environment, the people around you, and actually taking the time to make a difference, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, sometimes in the workplace, you know, we'll, we'll see something happen and, and, oh, do I have, do I have to move that cord or do I have to clean up that spill? Yeah. Or, or, or that's not my job, so I'm going to walk around it. Right. You know, and, and I, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I can't see something that needs to be tended to and ignore it. Yep. I, I have to it's go do wired, It's wired into it's us, wired. especially as safety people. Mm-hmm. How many times do you walk past something that's plugged into an outlet that's kind of hanging out and you just walk by and you push it all the way in. Yeah. Like constantly, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, right. it's all that little stuff. But or yes. Trash, even trash on the ground. Yes, trash on the ground. And that, picking that, it up. Yeah. yeah, picking Straightening it up. Straightening a rug. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. That's, that, that honestly is picking up the trash is actually caring for the environment. Yeah. Straightening the rug. You know, when I talk about actually caring for pets, there was a, um, a dog. He was a um, pit bull. And this guy tied him to a fence and, and doused him with gasoline and caught him on fire. Mm. And what happened was that the mess went viral, and they call this dog Tommy. Mm-hmm. Mess went viral. The dog finally did pass away due to his injuries, mm-hmm. and they passed a law. Mm. So because everybody came together yeah. and actively cared for Tommy, yeah. we've now got a better law out there for people who abuse animals. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really about coming together, whether it's for safety, whether it's for the environment, whether mm-hmm. it's for animals. Mm-hmm. It's about coming together and making a difference and working together as, as, as we often need to do. Mm-hmm. So in a workplace setting, actively caring, like you said your dad thought this was all mushy-gushy stuff years ago. Now, 
Mm-hmm. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. But you're going into work environments where people may think, uh, this is mushy gushy stuff. How do you how do you teach how do you teach? How do you do this? So that people are like get past that mushy gushy part. Yeah, it's funny. Um, you'd really be surprised how how much appreciation actually comes out of it. Okay. People are actually, especially, so you know anybody can say thank you. Yeah. And anybody can give a wristband and say, hey, thanks for doing what you do. Yeah. It's the message that goes along with that wristband. Mm-hmm. So, you know, many times we have incentives where we give money out. Yeah. I, I, I just think. No. 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 Don't, go, don't give me money. Give me a token. Yeah. And this is a token to my appreciation is yeah. this wristband. But yeah. what's so much more important is the message. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've watched guys give messages to each other. And you're, you're talking mushy-gushy message. And these guys are actually reacting. Mm-hmm. They're having a physical reaction mm-hmm. because they're, they're getting for the first time the, the genuine thank you that they've needed. Yeah. And it's really surprising how many genuine thank yous we do need in our office, mm-hmm. especially around the, the workplace. And I've walked with safety managers. I, I, there was this one safety manager who was one of the best I've ever seen. He knows the names of everybody's children. Yeah. He's asking, hey, how's your child today? Do, yeah. they, do they win their soccer game or whatever, mm-hmm. the, the, whatever it is? He's having those conversations with him, actually genuinely cares about that person mm-hmm. so that when something at risk does come up, he can have that candid conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw you doing this. Yeah. But one thing we th- we need to remember in the workplace is when we see somebody doing something at risk, we need to not automatically think they're doing it on purpose. Purpose, right. Because who sets out for that? Exactly. You don't set out to try to hurt yourself. No. They're yeah. unconsciously incompetent. Yeah. They don't know what they don't know. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you, so when you approach them, and, you're, and you're, if you're going to give them the wristband, you're going to give them feedback, we have to remember to coach to care. We have to mm-hmm. care when we coach mm-hmm. and, and let them know, you know, that, that I care about you, and that's why I'm giving you this message. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. actually caring for people. Mm-hmm. So talk more about what the wristband is for people who don't know what we're talking about. So the wristband says actively caring for people on it, and it has its own individual unique number. Mm-hmm. And so the wristband is simply a token. It's a, it's a nice green color, and it's simply just a token of my appreciation. Mm-hmm. And so when you see an act of kindness, you can pass your wristband forward mm-hmm. and you can say, you know, thank you so much for holding that door for me back there. My mm-hmm. arms were full. I really appreciated mm-hmm. it. You took the time out to, to hold that door for me and I just want to say thank you. Yeah. It can be something that simple. Mm-hmm. And then you give them the wristband and then they can go onto our website, which is www.ac4p.org mm-hmm. and they can enter the wristband number along with the story because you know it's 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 talking about acts of positivity yeah rather than all the negativity we have in the world start paying it for with the positivity that we have you know let's start talking about being positive Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so are you using those stories for qualitative research oh those stories we have so many stories on there yeah and and, they've got to be so fun to read well some of the funnest stories actually is when I go off and do presentations and if I do a workshop, mm-hmm. one of the things I'll ask my class, and, and I love it if it's a workshop, the first thing I do is ask them, let's go around the room and tell me one actively caring for people story that either happened to you mm-hmm. or that you did. Mm-hmm. And the, it's, those are the best because, of course, I love reading, but mm-hmm. these guys are telling me the stories yeah. with the emotion. Yeah. I mean, you're getting some of them are breaking down on the class because mm-hmm. they are that, yeah. they're, they're that 
good mm-hmm. and, and, and that mm-hmm. emotional about it. Mm-hmm. And that's what you want. You want that emotional yeah. that emotional piece to the fact that of, of actively caring. It's what connects people. us. Yes. Mm-hmm. So can people read the stories on the website? Yes. They, okay. Yes, All they right. can read the stories on the website. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if they want more information on that, they can go to my website, which is just simply Geller, ac4p.com. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that, that has the books, and that has a link to the, the stories website, too. But yeah. you can get more information from the books, and that's where the Power of Pets book will be eventually sure. when sure. it gets completed. So your life's work right now is is teaching about actively caring for people. Yep, teaching yeah. about actively caring for people and, you know, the safe behaviors we have on the job. And, you know, so I could come to your company and I could yeah. do a safety cultural survey, yeah. figure out, you know, where is it that you're struggling? Mm-hmm. You know, where are the areas that we need to tighten up or we need to, we need to look at in more depth? And so after my survey would come a focus group. So I'm going to talk to people in depth because I really like qualitative research. Mm-hmm. I want to get those qualitative answers. I want to figure out, you know, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. Why did you answer the question this way? Mm-hmm. And then figure out, okay, what is our safety roadmap going to look like so we can improve the culture on this company? Yeah. And I really believe that that's AC4P. Yeah. I believe no matter what data comes back with 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 what it's telling me, I believe the roadmap is AC4P. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, um, it, it'll depend on what kind of teachings seem to be imploded, but it'll be, you know, actively caring for people in the workplace, yeah. whether it's ergonomics, mm-hmm. whether it's observational data out there on the job site, because mm-hmm. we can't forget about our office workers. Yep. The ergonomics piece is oh it's so huge. important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. They, we forget we have our field offices and we have mm-hmm. our office workers that they may not step onto the plant or the job site, yeah. but that they, they still encounter yeah. at-risk behaviors on a yeah. daily basis, yeah. and we, we need to be sure that we pay attention to them too, because yeah. that ergonomics is it's so huge. It's, it's huge. huge. I think the easiest ergonomic thing when people are like, safety, I'm in an office, that doesn't apply to me. And I'll say, can I see your arm from wherever they've been mousing? And if they have a nice straight kind of gouge from the edge of their desk mm-hmm. in their arm, I'm like, is that sore? Do you know you're kind of restricting blood flow there? And let's move your mouse. And how about we adjust this? And how about mm-hmm. we do that? And like suddenly, oh, safety is... Just by saying, can I see your arm? Yep. (laughs) Absolutely. That was one of my first injuries on the job. I had one of those trackball mouse. Yeah. And I was reading a bunch of data, and I would just leave my fingers up in the air. And what ended up happening was my middle finger ended up swelling, and I got a large swell underneath it. Yeah. And it was a workplace injury. Yeah. And uh, from that point forward, I got into ergonomics, Mm -hmm. you know, adjusting the desk. And if you've ever gone to someone's desk where they've been sitting for 20 years and tried Uh to adjust it. Oh, it's a thing. Ooh. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. a dangerous thing. Yep. So, uh, yeah, that that's workplace safety right there, <laughs> adjusting someone's desk. But, yeah, it's really important that mm-hmm. you have that, that desk because you wouldn't believe the difference it can do in your shoulders and the chair. Yeah. So yeah. we can't leave out our office workers either. It's very no, important in just, just caring about them. And that's what it is. Yeah. It's, it's actively caring. So, Krista, I feel, I'm curious to know how you feel about this. I feel like the safety profession is kind of going through a shift, not only in its demographics by way of the people who've been doing the work for so many years who are retiring out. Um, it feels like we're seeing the next generation starting mm-hmm. to emerge. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, and what do you see for the next... What do you see for our profession? It's funny that you ask that because, you know... Um, 
I've been in this, I've been side by side with my dad probably since I was about 15. So I grew up with Charlie Moorcraft. I grew up with Aubrey Daniels. I grew up with Dominic Cooper. You know, I grew up watching these safety professionals all through the years. And now they're getting to that age where I'm kind of sitting there thinking, my, my gosh, now I, now I need to carry this torch forward. You know, how do I, how do I keep this message going? Mm -hmm. And so it's for me right now, it's been finding as many of those safety professionals that kind of um, live the same creed that I've been living for the past 40 years, you know, okay, can can you help me carry this torch? Because this is a big torch to carry. Mm -hmm. I mean, Charlie Moorcraft, Scott Geller, Aubrey Daniels, um, we got to carry this torch. So I, 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 my goal now has been finding these people and making sure that all of the teachings and learnings that we have from, let's call it our baby boomers, yeah. is going to be injected into our next generation. Yeah. That we are carrying that forward mm-hmm. because, you know, the research about baby boomers, Gen X, and millennials is, you know, there's a there's a miscommunication between these groups. Mm-hmm. And we, we've got to be sure that before we lose our baby boomers that we're pulling as much information mm-hmm. out of them as we can. Mm-hmm. So that has been my goal is where can I go forward with my father? What can I do? What yeah. what else do I need to pull from him? Right. So that the safety world doesn't lose such a that gem. tribal knowledge. Yes. Because yeah. he, he's... I mean, mm-hmm. his knowledge and his understanding, and same with Charlie Moorcraft, he is so compelling. Mm-hmm. His story is so touching, so mm-hmm. emotional. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of stories out there about injuries and such, but still not one that touches you like Charlie Moorcraft. Yeah. So let's not lose that. Let's let's yeah. get let's get let's get that mentorship that we need from these two yeah. gentlemen. Let's get the mentorship we need to move forward right. so that we, we don't lose the momentum. Yeah. And that I think that's where, you know, when I go to these conferences and I and I look at that, you know, I'm I'm looking at these 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 older generations and I'm thinking I don't I don't want to lose them because I mean I grew up with them. Yeah. So I mean it's it's running in my blood. Yeah. So it's finding those others that it's in their blood yeah. and pulling them along with me. Well I think we had one of those others on the podcast earlier today with JC Good and a different generation who mm-hmm. has a compelling story, not unlike Charlie Moorcraft's Yes. Um, yeah. That is definitely compelling, and she's certainly solidly from another generation, so maybe she's one of those torchbearers. You know, yeah, she's someone that her message is so Mm. important Mm -hmm. because the cell phone is only going to get easier and easier and easier to use behind the wheel. Mm -hmm. It's going to be harder and harder and harder for us to put it down. Yeah. Harder and harder. And um, she's one that I I really want to pair up with in terms of carrying that message forward because her torch, I think, is bright. Yeah. And I think there's several bright torches, but we, we need to be sure we're under that umbrella of these these experts because we can't do it wrong. Mm-hmm. We gotta carry it mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. We gotta mm-hmm. we gotta pass it forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a good career to get into. It is. It is. It is a good career. I mean, you see all the wonderful people around here and motivated to learn. They want to be here. I mean, the people that were in my class yesterday, they just, they, they, they want to be here and they're hungry for it. We just got to make sure that the information that we share with them is correct. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I always lean on my father because he's been my educator for 30 years. He's been the one teaching me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when he's not here anymore, Mm -hmm. 
I've got to make sure I've got the right information that I'm sharing it and I'm, I'm getting think, it out there. I think you've got it, Krista. I think uh, you've got it. So you at NSC here, you were doing some education. So what, what were you doing? I did a workshop with my dad, which was just awesome. Okay. And then uh, um, both of us had presentations yesterday. I did mine from 1 to 2, and he did his from 4 to 5. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and... and that's that's all we've got for this pre, this conference. But we'll be presenting at the ASSB conference uh-huh. next year. We've got a workshop there. Okay. Hopefully, we've got industrial hygiene. Got that conference there. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to spread further. See how far we can spread the AC4P movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, let's get people on board. Come on, let's actually care for people, yeah. and let's not forget our pets. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm 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 very much a pet advocate, and I don't. I think they do for us as much as we do for them. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. So as we're winding up our time today and knowing that you're a parent now, do you, have you already put your child through any sort of research? <laughs> do, you think, oh. do you think your child's going to be part of research you like know, you were part of your dad's? That's, that's a fantastic question. <laughs> he absolutely will be. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the, one, of the, one of the research things that I want to run on him is, is I want to do the marshmallow test. Okay, yes. I really want to do the marshmallow test. I want to see if he can, if can he hold back. You know, they started at four, and he's only two right now, so I've got to wait a little bit so before I can our, reason with So for him. our audience who's listening who might not know what the marshmallow test is, do you want to describe it? Yeah, so the marshmallow test is, you know, you put a marshmallow in front of a child, and you say, I'm going to give you that marshmallow, and if, if you can wait in 20 minutes, I'll come back and I'll give you a second marshmallow. Mm-hmm. And then they leave the room and they're behind a, a glass mirror so you can watch what the child does. And what they've done is they followed these children and found that, you know, they, they did better. They, they, they were conscientious. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, that it's, it's holding back that gratification and waiting. Yeah. The children that don't eat that marshmallow are, are really proved to have, you know, a little bit more success in life because they can hold back the gratification. So I want to see if he's going to eat that marshmallow. Does this sort of make you nervous? Yes, terribly. Yeah, right? <laughs> terribly because my sister and I argue. I I believe my sister would have eaten the marshmallow. She argues that she would not have eaten the marshmallow. Uh-huh. I'm not sure where that's going to be. But <laughs> I, I, I'm i afraid he's, he's going to eat it. Uh-huh. I'm afraid he's going to eat the marshmallow, and I don't know where I'll be then. How, how old is too old to do the marshmallow test? I'm going to keep doing it till he doesn't eat it. Okay. <laughs> so if he's 25, I'm going to be like, don't eat it. Please let me walk out of this room. Do not eat this marshmallow. 20 minutes. You can do it. Yeah. You can do it. Oh, God. Krista, thank you so much for doing this, and thank you for the work that you're doing uh, all over. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and carrying the torch forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you really for this. And, and all you do with all the experts that you talk on and getting getting people's words out there. I mean, that's so important. You, you, you're, the, you're the link between, you're the link that we need to mm. spreading our messages. So thank you for spreading our, our positivity. Thank you for that. Power of story. Yeah, absolutely. Story. Absolutely. And the power of pets. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Krista. Thank you all for spending your time listening today. And more importantly, thank you for the work and contributions that you do, making sure your workers, including your temporary workers, make it home safe every day. If you'd like to join the conversation about this episode or any of our previous episodes, follow our page and join the Accidental Safety Pro community group on Facebook. If you aren't subscribed to the podcast and want to hear past or future episodes, you can subscribe in iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, or any podcast player that you'd like. You can also find all of our episodes at vividlearningsystems.com slash podcast. And we'd love it if you could leave us a rating and review us on iTunes. It helps uh, share the story uh, with more and more safety professionals. And you can share any episode with your friends. If you have a suggestion for a guest, including if it's you, 
You can please uh, go ahead and contact me at social at vividlearningsystems.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.